0: Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel, at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDhelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Good evening, Facebook. I Thank you for joining us this evening. I'm very excited to have another Tip Talk this week. Um, we have some special guests with us today. We have Dr. Amar Thasani and also Dr. Albert Amini. Um, thank you both for being here with us tonight. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Thank you.
0: So just to give you a little background, my name is Andrea Millers and I'm with Endogastric Solutions. Um, and this- This is a live event, uh, so time, if you want to ask your questions, please go ahead and type them in the comment section and we will do our best to answer any questions that you have for any of the doctors today. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about our guest speakers today. We have Dr. Martha Sani. He is a board-certified gastroenterologist and a therapeutic endoscopist and has over 20 years of experience in the medical field. His practice focuses on complex endoscopic procedures of the biliary system, pancreas, gastrointestinal cancers, and esophageal disorders. He specializes in minimally invasive approaches to many gastro, gastrointestinal diseases that previously required invasive surgeries. Dr. Thasani is currently the director of, uh, excuse me, director of advanced endoscopy at the hospital where he was in Scottsdale, Arizona for joining us, Dr. Thasani. In addition to that, we have Dr. Albert Amini. Dr. Albert Amini is the founder and president of Arizona Premier Surgery and a board-certified general surgeon with fellowship training in minimally invasive surgery for the liver, pancreas, and bile ducts. Uh, Dr. Amini also travels abroad to perform surgeries on underserved patients in the Dominican Republic and is published in a multitude of papers and presentations. So I'm really excited today because uh, Dr. Thasani and Amini are both partners and we often talk about hiatal hernia repair and the TIF procedure. And that's exactly what these two physicians do for patients, so we'll have a year unique conversation about how that works. Um, but first let's go ahead and start talking a little bit more about what is GERD? Um, what kinds of symptoms could potential patients be feeling? Um, what, what are the types of, um, things that they could, um, you know, are they taking medication or whatnot? So talk to us a little bit more about what is GERD?
1: Sure. Um, so GERD or gastro Gastroesophageal reflux disease is basically where the contents, mainly gastric acid that's produced in the stomach, refluxes up through the what's called the lower esophageal sphincter into the esophagus. And um, because of the acidic nature of the contents in the stomach, um, patients, when, when that when that reflux material comes up into the esophagus, the acid in there causes um, symptoms when it touches the uh, the the lining of, of the esophagus, and, and this is often have symptoms such as pain or burning. Um, it's a very common condition. I, I believe there is about 60 million prescriptions for acid reducing medications um, prescribed uh, every year in, in the U.S. So it's a very common problem, and uh, it's it's one that that's the majority of people um, treat medically. Right now, although we don't think that's necessarily the best option.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Can you talk to us a little bit more about like typical symptoms versus atypical symptoms? There's a lot of times um, patients say they feel like they're having a heart attack, or they go in to the ER because they think they're having a heart attack, and come to find out they're having, you know, severe acid reflux. Can you talk about a little bit of that?
1: Absolutely. So. The typical symptoms of acid reflux are, you know, again when that when that acidic content um, contents of the stomach come up into the esophagus. Mainly, the the main thing people complain of um, typically is burning. You know, they they, they feel like they feel like your your chest is on fire. Um, a lot of times, what can happen in addition to burning is that they can also have a pressure feeling, and, and that's where oftentimes. Uh, bad acid reflux is uh, mistaken for someone having a heart attack and, and, and if they if they have an acute reflux episode and it causes burning and that pressure, oftentimes people go to the emergency room thinking it's their heart. Um, th- those are really the, the main typical symptoms of acid reflux, but there's a lot of atypical symptoms. Um, uh, you know, I'm sorry, just to go back to the typical symptoms. Another symptom is is regurgitation, where where you know you feel like you're you're almost you know vomiting material up and then it comes up to the back of their throat and you swallow it. Uh, there's also a condition called sour rash, where where when acid comes up, um, it causes a reflux and and your mouth fills with, with saliva. Which is a common condition of acid reflux. Again, very typical. Some of the atypical um, symptoms of acid reflux, which a lot of people uh, suffer from, um, is is chronic coughing, um, especially when people lay lay down at night and, and they don't have that good barrier to preventing the acid from coming up. What actually happens is that that acid travels up to up to the esophagus and it goes down in, into their windpipe. Um, and it can irritate the vocal cords and the windpipe, and people can have a chronic cough, and it can be a, a, a very de- debilitating condition. Which you know they seek out medical care for this cough, and a lot of times it, it, it's um, it's due to acid reflux. And,
2: and I think a big a big part of the atypical symptoms is is the kind of misconception of how the medications work a lot of people think oh i'm taking a reflux medication so that's improving my sphincter muscle or i'm getting less reflux or or you know different ways that they think it's reducing the 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 reflux and what it's actually doing is just kind of decreasing the acid and decreasing kind of the, the acidity of the reflux and that's why the burning is less and some of the symptoms are better but you're still actively refluxing it hasn't decreased the amount you reflux and so that's why they say, hey, my, you know, my pain is better or, or, you know, I'm not having as much discomfort as I used to be ha- having, but they're still can't lay flat, having trouble breathing, having cough, um, having other issues. And, and I think that's a common misconception with, with how they're being managed with, with medically with, with the, with the pills instead. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point. Um, so talk to us a little bit about you know, what do you normally, uh, have patients do to manage their GERD? Kind of like initially when they come in, um, you know, you're, you're talking about medical therapy. Are there different lifestyle modifications that they need to make or, you know, uh, stay away from certain foods, you know, um, change their exercise program or whatnot. What, what do you guys normally, um, tell patients to do?
1: I think, um, you know, we, we normally tell patients to do do the standard things. You know, what well, one is, um, I think one big thing is to eat um, more frequently in smaller quantities. I, I think we, when you when you eat um, when you eat infrequently in large quantities, it just adds a lot of food in your stomach and it kind of overburdens your stomach and then you can reflux more. So, um, I think that's one big thing. Um, I, I'll I'll be honest, I'm I'm not I'm not so much of a believer of you know changing what you eat. Um, you know I, I I know a lot of people you know say don't drink coffee or don't don't do this or avoid spicy foods but when you actually think about what's happening from happening from a physiological standpoint um, you know the pH of the stomach which is the the acid content um, is about one which is just about as low as, as you can go you know how, how much are, are we really changing that pH by by avoiding certain foods you know it's, it's just it does you know it, it's it's an anatomic problem not not so much what we're eating but um, Definitely some patients do feel better when, when they stay away from, from certain foods, um, you know, spicy foods or caffeinated foods or, or things that can cause a lot of bubbles or a lot of gas in, in the stomach. So, so we start with that. Um, another big thing is to, when they're sleeping, is to prop their head up. Um, and again, that's, that's, that's just because of, um, that's, a, that's because of gravity, basically. If you lie down flat and your sphincter is not holding the acid down into the stomach, that the the stomach contents just kind of have a have a have a easier time flowing up into the esophagus so if they prop their head up it can can make them feel better um and then i I think another big thing is to not eat so late at night you know because you want while you're while you're upright you know when, when we're awake we're normally upright whether sitting or standing Um, You know, you want the food that that you eat to be passed through your stomach. If you eat late at night, then lie down right away. It's just a lot more contents that you can have to reflux up. So those are the main things that I normally start with.
0: Okay, fantastic. We do have a a couple of questions that have come up, so I'm just going to ask them. Rajesh says hi to all of us, Um, but he's also asking doctors, is regurgitation an advanced state of acid reflux?
1: No, I don't. I don't believe it's an it's an advanced state of acid reflux. It, it's just what what's actually happening. It, it's that where where the stomach where the contents in the stomach are coming up and up into the esophagus. That's what the regurgitation is. You know, it it just depends how high it's coming up, um, and, and then when, when there's a big bolus of it, or if it comes up much higher, that that's the regurgitation symptom.
0: So it's just part of the normal, not yeah. normal, I should say. It's similar, part of the- yeah. Yeah. Part of the reflux, normal reflux. Okay. Um, so what options are available to right now to treat GERD? I know uh, Dr. Amini, you, you talked about medical therapy um, and maybe you can talk about the different types of um, medications, right? There's different classifications and then also what other procedures are available for um, managing or treating GERD?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the medical and I'll let Dr. Amini talk about Surgical issues. So, um, um, so the mainstay of treatment of, of GERD currently um, in in today's date is um, what's called proton pump inhibitors, which are a class of medications that we all hear about, whether it's Nexium or Prilosec or um, Dexalant or, or um, Omeprazole. You know, there, there's a whole host of medications out there that are known as pro, proton pump inhibitors and what what they do is when you take this medication, it shuts off the the pump that secretes the hydrogen um, that combines with the chloride to make hydrochloric acid, um, and it turns that pump off, and, and it turns it off for a, for a certain period of time, whether it's 12 hours or 18 hours, and basically what it's doing in the stomach, it stops the secretion of acid into the stomach. Um, and it doesn't 100% stop all, all the acid. It, it only blocks a certain number of the pumps, whether it's 30% or 50%. But it, it, it effectively um, lowers the amount of acid in the stomach, thereby increasing the pH. That, that's really the mainstay of treatment currently um, with medications now for acid reflux. And there's lots of other medications out there. Previously, um, or there's, there's, uh, there's coding medications like famotidine. There's different types of uh, medications like H2 blockers that like Tagamet that people have taken in the past. Um, and then there's a, there's there's a, there's a class of medications that, 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 was actually just recently taken off the market, um, because of, uh, potential carcinogenic, uh, compounds with, uh, uh, within the, the, the medica- uh, within the capsule. So, so that's, so that's been an issue. Um, but I, I'd still say currently that the mainstay of medical treatment are, are these
2: proton pump inhibitors. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I think if your symptoms, if your symptoms are, are mild, you're probably seeing your primary care doctor or picking up some medications at, at the pharmacy. And, and really it's just diet, you know, adjusting your diet the way that Dr. Tasani said, um, starting the medications, either the H2 blockers or the, you know, the Tums or the PPIs, like Dr. Tasani said. Um, and I think, you know, if people have mild symptoms, they're probably gonna do okay on that, to be honest with you. They're still refluxing, um, and that's the main key that we have to let people know, you're still refluxing. Um, and so if there's atypical symptoms or the symptoms aren't getting better, it's because you're still refluxing. Um, you just feel, feel better with those medications. Um, and then after you know, kind of, they get through that gamut of of stuff. Then then they're really you know moving on to GI or, or surgery, and saying, hey, I've tried everything. I've tried the diet, even the weight loss, or whatever it is, and and I'm still feeling miserable at night. I'm still not not comfortable. I can't lay flat. Um, it's affecting my quality of life. It's starting to. Um, I don't want to take these medications for forever. A lot of these medications have side effects with long-term use. And so then they're, they're going to a gastroenterologist or a surgeon and saying, hey, I want to take this to the kind of the next level. What, what do you have for me? And I think at, at that point, before we really get into treatment, we really have to Get a better idea of their anatomy, and so that's when we do a do a workup, and and that's where we want to see. Well, do you know is their esophagus normal? Do they have damage to the esophagus from all that reflux? Um, you know, there's Bar- Barrett's esophagus where you start to get changes in the esophagus, and that can turn into cancer. So we want to rule rule that out. We want to rule out any other issues that's causing all their symptoms, and then we get other diagnostic tests um like barium swallows and manometry um you know and and we want to test you know their anatomy to see okay is their sphincter muscle not working well are they actively refluxing how much are they refluxing um and then that's also when we get you know the endoscopy by dr tasani and 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 scans to see well do they have a hiatal hernia a lot of these are associated with with a hernia and 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 the surgery or, or the the treatment can change dramatically if they have if they have a hernia. So they get they get a much bigger workup and 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 PCPs just don't feel comfortable doing that um, and and really aren't aren't there to do that to be honest with you. And so if the symptoms you know have progressed to the point where the meds aren't working, the diet's not working, the the non-surgical's not working, you really gotta be in with a GI doctor or a surgeon. You gotta get a, a workup and then that's when we kind of start talking about some of, of the treatments, which we can go into, or or if there's any other questions.
0: Yeah, no, that's. I'm glad you talked about that because a lot of the questions patients have are, "What does my workup look like?" and "What what are all the different tests that I need to take or do to be, determine if I'm even a candidate for any type of procedure?" So I'm glad you brought that up. In a lot your
2: practice, honestly, have been suffering for suffering for a long time, and when they come, they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, seven years ago they." T- told me that i had reflux and and some changes and a small hernia but they told me to change my diet and do this and and it's been seven years and I'm, I'm not any better and it's because they're not going to be better it's not improving their sphincter muscle it's not improving their any it, it all all they're doing is just controlling some of their symptoms um and so a lot of them come and they, and they already have an idea about hernias they already have an idea about the sphincter they already have an idea about reflux but they haven't really had you know full workup or an explanation of any other option other than diet and, and medical. And so then they show up and they say, Okay, well, I've been suffering now for X amount of years. Um, somebody got me here or something got me here, and now I want to see what, what else to do. And that and that's when um usually you know Dr. Pisani does an endoscopy and just kind of clarifies their anatomy, clarifies um, their reflux, their esophagus, any other abnormalities. And then they come to me and we usually get, you know, a barium swallow, look at how they swallow, how much they're refluxing, um, maybe a scan to see, you know, how big or small a a hernia is. And then after, you know, pretty quickly after that, we start to talk about, okay, well, these are non-medical management, either, you know, minimally invasive. Thing you know, TIFF like Dr. Dasani can do or a combo like we can do together or maybe a bigger surgery.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, We have quite a few questions, so I'm going to try and go through those and then we'll go into um, uh, more about the different options, um, treatment options, if you will. So we've got a question. How long should someone take PPIs before considering a specialist opinion? I think you guys you just kind of talked about that regarding other or long-term treatment options.
1: Yeah, you know it, it's um, if you actually look at at um, at the literature for all the PPIs, and and it's not it's not just one of them; it's actually all of them. Um, when you look at the literature um, and and what the drug companies recommend, they they usually recommend a 14-day course, day course, right, um, and and then after that 14 days. But, you know, as we all know, people, have, people are on these PPIs for years and years and years. I mean, I, you know, I, I've seen patients that have been on these medications for 15 years. And without the medications, they, they you know, they, they just can't, they, they, they're not comfortable. They have reflux and pain and, and regurgitation and, um, you know, and all the other symptoms that go along with acid reflux. And we, we didn't actually, um, you know, I'll be honest, we, as a gastroenterologist, it, it's, it's such a reflux that if someone has any symptoms that sound like reflux, just to give them a PPI, it's such an easy thing to do. And there's so many companies that have different PPIs in it. And it's it's honestly, it's a very easy way, I'm not saying the correct way, but it's an easy way to treat the problem. And if, if a patient goes to a gastroenterologist's office and complains about this, I can guarantee you they're gonna come out with a script for a PPI. And patients have been on, patients. some patients have been on this for so long, but I, I think um, in the past four to five years, a lot of data has come out um, that's actually questioning the long-term safety of these PPAIs. Um, and and it's, it's hard to tell what is 100% accurate um, because these are big population-based studies, but they've this PPI use has, has been linked to multiple different things. It's been linked to heart disease and Alzheimer's and kidney disease and, um, decreased bone mineralization and decreased magnesium levels. And so, so there's a lot of other things. And, 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 you know, I, I think it's, I think they're all valid points, right? I mean, when you're on something that that's altering, um, the cell type in your body when you're on these for long periods of times, you know there um you know there there's potential for, for for damage, so so I, I think that's the one reason why people are, are trying to find other ways to treat the acid reflux and um, in in my opinion you know if if you look back if you go back to the 1950s when when Dr Nissen actually invented the, this surgery that's how people treated bad reflux is actually surgical you know fix the anatomy. And then, you know, things have progressed with different medications and H2 blockers and PPIs, and that used to be a big surgery, a big open surgery, and people didn't like that. So then we went with the medications, and now we're going kind of back to, you know, as our surgical and endoscopic techniques have gotten so much better, we're, we're, we're coming back to, to, a, to a role that, that we can actually fix the problem again and not just put a bandage on it. So yeah. that I think that's how the treatment of, uh, um, has, has changed.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And I I saw an article I think a month ago about PPIs even being correlating with COVID too. So did you read that article? Yeah. I- <laughs>
1: And again, you know, I mean, it's so it's so hard to to you know that's that's the one thing about about these studies. You know, I feel like it, there's a lot of stuff written. I mean, there there's some stuff that came out uh, a couple of years ago that, that people on PPIs are at more risk of C diff infection, and it, it's 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 hard. And I, I don't, I definitely don't want to blame all these things on PPIs. Right. The fact that that you're you know, if you need a long term medication. Uh, I mean, it's got to have some effects on the body, and, and I, I think all that data is is in the preliminary stages. But but it's but it's valid, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good point. Thank you. Uh, let me see if there's any other questions before we um, let's see. Okay. I'll ask this one: Can GERD-related chest pain result from taking a hot shower or soaking in a hot tub? Also, can stress cause GERD symptoms to worsen?
1: Yeah. I. I, I can't say that um, you know. I, I you know. I, I I can't see any physiological um, change with taking a hot shower to make GERD worse, right? Um, I, I I mean, unless you're lying down in the bathtub, I could I could see that <laughs> that may make it worse. But just by by the temperature of the shower, I don't see how how that can make it worse. Um, and the second question was what? It
0: was stress. Does stress cause GERD symptoms to worsen? Yeah, I,
1: I think you know stress stress is a very interesting thing in the GI tract. Um you know, we, we've all felt that, um, that that feeling that if something really bad happens to you in your life, or, you know, we all get that pit in the bottom of our stomach, right? I mean, you know, where, where you know, you kind of feel like your intestines tightening up. It's because the GI tract is very innervated by, by the nervous system. So whether or not stress itself is actually causing the reflux or it's heightening the sensation that you're having reflux, I think it's a hard thing to, to tell. Yeah. Perfect. Okay.
0: So let's go ahead and talk about the different types of procedures or um, treatment options for GERD. So you, you kind of um, touched a little bit about the Nissen, that it's the old tried to, you know, the, the old school way of doing things. And there's a Latin Nissen now, and then maybe talk about the differences of, of all the different procedures that potentially um, someone with GERD could um, have.
2: Yeah, including well, right.
0: the TIF procedure.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, I think one of one of the first things that we have to kind of educate people on is that if if you have a hiatal hernia, you, you have to address that first. Um, if somebody... Um,
1: Can we explain well, what a yeah. hiatal hernia is? Oh, yeah. I, I think there's a big misconception
2: what a hiatal hernia actually is. That, no, that's a great point because a lot of patients say, oh, I have a hiatal hernia, and they kind of point to their stomach. Um, and so a hiatal hernia your your diaphragm separates your chest from your abdomen it only has one hole in it and that's your hiatus that's your hiatus and that's basically the hole that allows your esophagus which is connecting your mouth to your stomach go through into your into your belly into your abdomen um and so your stomach should lie in your abdomen it should it should be inside your abdomen your stomach being the reservoir that holds food and your abdomen being your your belly portion of your be- uh, of your of your body and so when you get a hiatal hernia the hiatus is bigger, um, and it can be from weight, it can be from diet, it can be from genetics, it can be from heavy lifting, it can be from millions of reasons, and and as it gets bigger, well, then it starts to allow the stomach to go through the hiatus, and it starts to sit in the chest, and so your lower esophageal sphincter, which Dr. Dasani was talking about earlier, normally sits in the abdomen, and your abdomen has a bigger pressure, it sits at a different atmospheric pressure, and so it helps kind of have that sphincter be tight and closed. And the food is what's supposed to open that up, and then it closes again. But when that lower esophageal sphincter sits up in the chest, you got a lower atmospheric pressure to help you breathe, um, and then that, that lower esophageal sphincter doesn't work very well. So the food bolus can open it much easier, but, but at the same time, it, it sits at a much lower pressure and so it lets a lot of stuff reflux so if you have a hernia we have to address that first because whatever we do to the lower esophageal sphincter is not going to work because it's, it's going to be sitting in the chest and, and not going to work so and so that's my main role to be honest with you When when a patient comes to me um you know I, I tell him look i know we'll be able to help you i know there's going to be something we can do for you but it, it all centers around whether or not you have a hernia because if you don't have a hernia there's either maybe other things going on or different kind of medications, or maybe you can just get, you know, an endoscopic tiff by Dr. Tosani alone. So I really addressed the hydrohernia at first. And so the hydrohernia is bringing the stomach back down, closing the defect to the size of the esophagus, and, and basically recreating your natural born, you know, born with ana- anatomy. And so that's kind of step one for anybody with, um, with bad ref- reflux. Then once we, once we either know they don't have a hernia or we've fixed the hernia, then we have to do what's called an anti-reflux procedure. And there's lots of different anti-reflux procedures. Um, probably the, the four most common ones are some kind of external fundoplication, and that means where I wrap the stomach externally around itself. And that's either the Nissen fundoplication that a lot of people talk about or the toupee fundoplication, which is a slightly looser, looser wrap, and that that's something that I can do as a surgeon. Um, that's the one that's kind of been more around for a longer time, you know, 20, 25 plus years. Um, it, it's still technically the gold standard, um, meaning that it's the more common one and the, and the one that's most studied. But it, it really alters your anatomy. You, you have to take down a lot more of the stomach. Um, I have to mobilize basically all of the stomach on the left and on the right side. Um, and then I have to kind of wrap it around itself and create kind of this uh, um, necktie, if you will, around the lower esophageal sphincter, because I can't fix the sphincter from the outside. Um, and and, and I, so I have to kind of try to recreate it from the outside. People usually say that they eat smaller meals, they get full. A lot faster which some people may may appreciate but it still alters your your anatomy and the way you eat and 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 a lot of people complain that they can't burp they can't they when they feel full they can't they can't burp they they you know when when they feel sick they they feel like they're gagging and they can't they can't vomit so it is a an altered anatomy um but it is something that we do all the time and for the right person it may it may be as the right answer um, and then we you know um, the Lynx was created and it's like these titanium metal beads it's having an external foreign body in your in your um, around your esophagus um, and it's supposed to recreate the sphincter again because I can't fix the sphincter um, it kind of recreates the sphincter and tries to work like the sphincter but then you have a metal um, you know there's some MRIs that you can't go through there's some issues with having metal in your in your body um, you know sometimes it has to be removed so, so it does have its 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 known complications, but at the same time, it, for the right person, it could it could help. Um, and then I think it's the TIF, and 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 that's the transoral incisionless fundoplication. And the reason it's called fundoplication is because the same as the Nissen to pay that I can do, but from the inside.
1: Yeah, and, and um, you know, it's actually um, it's quite a slick endoscopic procedure. Um, you know, it's a one of these endoscopic devices that that that's really made well, and basically what what we do is um, we do an upper endoscopy. That's atta- that that we have this device attached to, and um, when we go into the stomach and kind of flip our scope back up to look where the esophagus is coming in, we can see the laxity there, right? We, you know, we, we we can actually see this hiatus and see that that when the esophagus is coming through it's not tight there there's a laxity and what what we do with this is that we basically take the the tissue and the muscle in the top of the stomach called the cardia and we twist it on the inside and we elongate it so we twist and we and we elongate and we create a valve there between you know usually a two to three centimeter valve and what that valve does it kind of bulks up the bottom of that of that esophagus where it meets the stomach. Um, and that valve makes things much tighter. It makes the, the sphincter work better and it prevents acid from coming up. Um, and the beauty of it is, is that, um, the, the one thing is we, we definitely don't wrap as tight as something like the Nissen. The Nissen, it, it wraps 360 degrees around the esophagus. We, we usually get, um, between 270 and 300 degrees around. Um, and, from an efficacy standpoint, it's still it's still fantastic in decreasing the actual acid coming up, and that eighty-one percent of people in, um, in 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 our long-term data, eighty-one percent of people in five years are still off of their proton pump inhibitors versus I believe it's about eighty-four or eighty-five percent of people with Nissen. So so it's comparable. You know, it's a it's it's a very good procedure. The beauty is though, is you know. One, postoperatively, patients don't, I mean, they they may have a little bit of soreness and a little bit of pain after, but it's usually short-lived. And they can, patients don't have the same um, side effects that that they do with the Nissen, you know, when... When you, when Dr. Meany, when he used to do a lot of these Nissens, I mean, patients would come in his office or call constantly, saying, you know, you know, I can't burp, I have bloating, you know, I still have pain, I, I have difficulty swallowing foods, and really, with the TIF, that, that 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 that's actually the beauty of it, you know, um, one from an efficacy standpoint, but two is from, um, it, it really t- takes away a lot of the symptoms that that people have um, from from the from the typical nissen. Um, so, so that that's you know that's one major benefit of it.
2: And I think part of the issue with the with the Nissen and, and why some more patients complain about the Nissen post-op rather than the TIF is because the the Nissen really alters your whereas, whereas the TIFF does not alter your anatomy. It improves the sphincter um, and improves kind of that ability to to tighten down on the on the muscle, but it doesn't alter your anatomy. The Nissen does does a good job of preventing reflux, and that's why you know, it works well, but it altered your anatomy. So sensations that are probably just related to the altered anatomy, like not being able to burp, feeling full sooner, feeling uncomfortable, having that pain, that discomfort. It's just, because we've altered their anatomy, we've fixed the reflux, but we've altered their anatomy. And you get much less dissection, dissection. you get much less inflammatory response from, from my, my surgery when, when I only have to fix the hiatus and, and, and Dr. Tosani can do the fundoplication, um, you know, internally or, or transorally.
0: Perfect, yeah, thank you. Um, so we do have a, so quite a few questions, but before we do that, can we talk a little bit about recovery um, from obviously both hiatal hernia. And, and then the other question that always comes up is what percentage, um, of your patients have a hiatal hernia? Is it with majority of them, if they're having reflux, do they majority of them have a hiatal hernia as well, or? Yeah, I, th-
1: I, would, I would say the majority of the patients do have a hiatal hernia. The, the question really is how big is it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we do an endoscopy and when we measure the hiatal hernia, we're basically trying to estimate how much of that stomach is up in the chest. And if it's less than two centimeters, it's something we can fix, um, without needing any kind of surgery, because I I can pull the esophagus and pull the stomach down in the chest a little bit, you know, a couple centimeters. If it's more than that, really, you know, patients are going to do better having a surgical repair of their hernia. And... And then, and then after that, me, you know, wh- what we do is at the same time he does the hernia repair, and then, and then right when he's done, he closes the abdomen, and then I do the endoscopy. So we do it all in in, in one shot. Um, so really, it depends on the size of the hiatal hernia, um, the recovery from the procedure. If I can do it completely endoscopic, um, I, the majority of my patients go home the same day. You know, okay. some some people have a little more pain and, you, you know, they're, they're just not, not doing as well because of pain issues or inflammation afterwards, and, and, and I'll keep them in the hospital overnight. But the majority of my patients that we do completely endoscopically go home the same day. When we do it jointly, um, when, when we do a surgical hernia repair and then an endoscopic fundoplication, um, we, we normally keep the patients overnight. Um, and, and, you know, that's because they, they are having a surgery, you know, they're, they, they have, they, um, dr amini is doing them robotically which is great it's I mean, they still have little little incision ports and you know I, I think it's very nice to watch them and control pain or control symptoms yeah. for one night and then after that their um, patients are really doing well
2: the recovery is the uh, outside of the one day in the hospital the recovery is really quick at two weeks when they come and see us other than the diet you know we put them on a on a diet afterwards other than the diet most patients have minimal complaints. Uh, m- n- none of, none of our patients were there taking pain meds after day one, day two. Um, uh, they're pretty much back to work three, you know, three, four days after surgery. Um, at two weeks, it's really just kind of talking about the diet and getting through the diet, you know, the
1: diet postoperatively. Yeah. And I think that's, that's probably the hardest thing of any kind of, whether it's endoscopic or surgical repair to a hernia, whether you're doing a, a a Nissen or a toupee or or a or a tiff you know um i i think the the hardest part is the post operative diet because what what we actually ask patients to do is to be on liquids i mean I, and, and it's really strict liquids for anywhere from 3 to 14 days afterwards you know and then and then then you can start to to advance your diet so um you know and the reason you don't want to um deviate from that is because you don't want to have have anything stretch out the the repair and you know if it's a tip you don't want to have break any of the placations or if he does a surgical um, uh, repair like well, like a nissan you don't want it to to loosen up or unwrap it's probably not going to happen but you don't want to put a lot of solid food in there um so I, I think that that's that's probably the hardest thing that that our patients
2: have to deal with um yeah. so yeah. people find it they lose a little bit of weight and they don't <laughs> Some people they can't stand it, but it's, it's it's not that bad.
0: Yeah, until they can eat normal again, <laughs> it's like ah, food. Yeah. Um, so there is a question about uh, how long will they need to wait until they can exercise after the
1: tip procedure? Um, you know, again, if it's if it's a straight tip, I, I, I um, you know I, ha- I have to be honest, I don't know exactly what the literature says from 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 the company's standpoint, but you know I, I usually tell patients to wait about a week. Um, and, and, there's, and to be honest with you, there's, there's not a whole lot, if it's a straight, um, straight endoscopic TIF that, that you're going to disrupt in there, you know, y- you know, even if you exercise a little bit, it's, it's not like any kind of torquing motion is going to change what we did in there, but you are going to have some inflammation, you know, you're just not going to feel hundred percent. I, I, I usually tell patients to wait about a week, but if no, you have the surgical, it's a the only different. thing.
2: Yeah. I, the only thing I would add, one to two, if it's surgery, then I'm fixing your hernia and, and we're doing a little bit more. One to two weeks to kind of a lot of exercise, but then four weeks no heavy, four weeks no heavy lifting. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay.
2: And Fantastic. heavy lifting would be like 15, 15 pounds. Yeah. Okay. Perfect.
0: Um, so let's get to some questions here. Um, how safe is it to have a procedure in today's environment? I'm assuming they're talking about COVID. Um, deductibles are met. And wondering if still time to schedule and get it done before the end of the year.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know the co- the COVID issue. I mean, you know, it, I I I think it all depends on tolerances. You know, I, I I can say that in in our hospital that that we work at. I mean, there there are currently today there's very few COVID cases. Um, every single one of our patients has to have a COVID test uh, before they, they they walk into the hospital. Every staff member um, is thoroughly Washing their hands, wearing gloves. Everyone must wear a mask. Um, and whether it's done in the endoscopy suite or in the operating room, it's all standard precautions. So I, I think um, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm I'm actually less. Con- you know, and I work. We're both in the hospital all day, every day, and I, I'm actually not worried about contracting COVID in the hospital. But it all depends on what your. What your risk tolerance is, you know. I'd say if you, you know if you have other comorbid medical con- conditions and and you're you know on the elderly side, you know, you may want to think twice about it and, and, and just and, and wait because nothing here is this is not an emergent procedure. You know, this is an elective procedure. Um, but I, I think um, I, I if I, I don't have any hesitation to bring a patient in right now.
2: Uh, there, there's been no no surgical patients that have gotten COVID in, in the hospital. That's one, and then two, uh, I think the surgery patients you basically go into the pre-op area, you see the OR, you go to the recovery area, and you go you know to your your room and then home. so you don't really see a lot of the hospital or do a lot in the hospital. Um, yeah. I, I I mean, I agree with Dr. Pisania. I, I really don't see an issue unless you're extremely risk averse or you're um, high risk yeah. Perfect.
0: So Abby's asking, does PPI change the chemistry of your stomach totally or it just, sorry, it just suppress the acid until it wears off?
1: Um, um, by the chemistry, I, I think well, what it does, uh, it, it changes the the acid content. So yeah, it's changing the, the chemistry of the secreted material in, in the stomach. Um, and it's a temporary fix. Meaning, um, so so your body um, generates these proton pump inhibitors every whatever it is twenty four hours, eighteen hours. So when when these when you take the PPI and the drug attaches itself to these proton pump in, in, inhibitors, it basically kills those those pumps. But the pumps come back. You know, twenty four hours they're, they're they're back, and that's why you you can't just that's why you have to take this medication once a day to twice a day to keep
2: the acid suppression down. And that's also why it takes like a couple of days to start working. And then when you turn it off after a couple of days, it's, it stops working also. So it's not a permanent change to your anatomy.
0: Perfect. Okay. Uh, James is asking, what should a person do once the problem is so bad? And I think it was when you were talking about, you know, after having the Nissen, a, a pers- when a person is gagging because they can't get that bubble up and they can't burn. They've had the procedure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> this is after a Nissen?
0: Probably that's when the question popped up yeah
1: yeah so. yeah I, I mean I mean there's not a whole lot to do with that you just it's time and and the bubble the gas bubble will, will eventually dissipate you know and um, it, it can be very uncomfortable you know and as dr. Minnie will tell you you know some of the thenis he's done I'm sure you know I, I some of the patients of mine that that have had nissan in the past they, they, they call me and they're and they're almost frantic because you know you can't you feel like you just can't get get anything up. Um, so it's a problem. There, there's really not an immediate fix. You know, I, I usually tell patients to take GasX,
0: yeah, see, see
1: yeah. if we break the big gas bubble to smaller bubbles, and, and and sometimes it's effective. But yeah, there's there's not a whole lot you can do other than waiting and giving it time.
2: And that's the issue with the Nissen. With some people, the Nissen works awesome, and, and they really don't have a lot of issues. And with some people, it, it doesn't work well. And 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 you really don't have a lot of options other than medications and um, and and if if you start down that path then you're almost back to pre-nissen state right okay we'll change your diet add these medications I was like, well, wait. Before the Nissen, it was change my diet and add these medications. I'm kind of back in the same in the same boat. Um, but but other than potentially evaluating their anatomy and making sure that there's nothing wrong with the Nissen, make sure that the Nissen didn't slip or or that there's any new new anatomical things that can be surgically fixed. Um, it's going to be kind of managing it with a GI doctor.
1: Yeah, um, and, and you know the one thing that that I do want to clarify here is is that I mean the the Nissen is still is still the gold standard in terms of acid reflux. And, and, and it does work. I mean, you know, it does work well in, 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 in many patients. I mean, and it's not like all patients have side effects, but it's a good, good proportion. I'd say I think it's about 25% 25, of yeah. patients have, have side effects after a Nissen. So, um, but in terms of a Nissen working to keep the acid down, it does, it works, it works fantastic. Um, but you have to be willing to to have a potential for the side effects and i think that's that's really where, where the TIF is 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 making great strides is that you know the long term data is showing it's it's as effective a, as a nissen and if, if you can have something that's as effective and decreasing those side effects um, you know, I, I think that's and you haven't burned any simple. bridges either by doing it yeah it's true you know after you do a TIF, if it doesn't work you know they, you can always go back and have a nissen um, and but and vice versa too. Actually, you know, we we we've actually done patients that have had a nissen and a hernia repair, and the hernia slipped, and he goes back to fix the hernia, and I'll go back and I can actually tighten the area around the nissen. I think we've done it. Uh, yep. We did one uh, yeah. our, our our last session yep. actually. So um, yeah, no. So 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 there's options.
0: Okay, that's great. Okay, more questions. Um, Abby's asking, can endoscopy cause the stomach bulb? I'm assuming she's saying the stomach to be damaged, say accidentally.
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, so, the from from an endoscopic standpoint, I, I think the uh, most challenging part about the TIF is actually getting the device down the esophagus. Um, because of the nature of what we're doing, um, you know, we have to, the device is about 20 millimeters or two centimeters wide. And we have to be able to pass this device down through through the esophagus, um, and there there are without a doubt there's there, there's times where we can cause what's called superficial tears in the esophagus, which the vast majority of the time, if they happen, it's 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 not a big issue. It's just it's very superficial. But I, I think that's that that to me is 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 the biggest challenge of the procedure is you know taking our time in the esophagus and getting that that um, device down. Once you're in the stomach, um, honestly, it's, it's very hard to damage the stomach. The stomach is such a tough organ; um, it takes it takes a lot to damage damage the stomach. My my concern is 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 always the esophagus, and you know, just that first ten minutes of the or five minutes of the procedure, getting that device down is, to me, you know, where 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 you have to be very careful and 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 proceed cautiously.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Um, so Colt is asking: Is probiotic okay for GERD?
1: You know, you know, um, <laughs> there's um, there's actually not a lot of data on probiotics. Um, you know, I know people have been taking them for all kinds of issues, but when you really look at what the indication of probiotics were, there's really only one GI indication that it's that it's that it's shown to be beneficial. And that's in preventing diarrhea when someone is on antibiotics. Mm. That's the only condition that a probiotic is actually um, studied for and and is, and is proven to help. Um, <laughs> you know, I, when I, when I talk to patients, some some of them swear by probiotics. It helps every, you know, everything. You know, the way they feel, or pain, or diarrhea, or constipation, or I I, I can't I can't make I, I can't see any. Physiological improvement in GERD with a probiotic, because because again, GERD is an anatomic issue. You know, it's an anatomic issue that that we have gotten into a pattern of treating medically. Um, so I, I don't I don't want to say a hundred percent it it's not going to help, but mm-hmm. I I don't see a way that 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 it would help. Perfect.
0: Okay. Like two more questions. Um, Sandra's saying nine months. She's nine months post surgery TIF surgery. I'm having so much mucus in the back of my throat. I cannot cough it up. It causes me to gag. Is that normal? Hmm,
1: that's, un- that's unusual. Um, okay. I, I'm I'm wondering if if she's still feeling acid reflux. You know, mm-hmm. is she still actually having symptoms of of reflux? Um, you know, if, if you if the TIF didn't work great. Um, and, and still having acid reflux, it could cause some irritation in the back of the throat. It can go down in, into the trachea and, and cause an inflammatory reaction, causing mucus. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to say now is that Causing the mucus, and and uh, you know if um, if 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 she were my patient or if she would come to see me, what well, what I would do is actually recommend doing another endoscopy, and putting in what's called a pH probe or uh, or a Bravo probe to see is she really refluxing. Yeah. And if she's refluxing, I, I think it's worth going down that route that the mucus could be caused from reflux. But if the if that test shows that she's not refluxing, there's multiple other things that that can cause mucus. You know, chronic sinus infections, um, some different lung issues. So I, I think that 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 would be um, that would need more of a workup.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, one last question. How about the case of decreased pH level in the stomach that could be the main cause for a relaxed LES, hence resulting to reflux.
1: Um, is that with with the medications, with proton pump inhibitors? Yeah, it's a that's a good question.
0: <laughs> so so um, I, I'm assuming that I'm assuming they're saying decreased pH level in stomach, probably from PPIs. So does that cause a relaxed LES?
1: All right, so so when you take a PPI, it actually increases your pH level. So it makes it less acid. Less acidic means a higher pH, right? So when you take a PPI, it makes your, it makes that pH level higher. Right. Um, I don't think that in in of itself um, weakens the lower esophageal sphincter. I mean, there there's a lot of things that that presumably do weaken it. Um, uh, pregnancy uh, with all the hormones, it actually it, it can loosen the the lower esophageal sphincter. Caffeine, can, um, there's studies that show caffeine can, chocolate can, and that can that can that can lower the the sphincter pressure. But I, I don't think the sphincter pressure is directly related to the actual acid content. Either too much acid or too little acid in the stomach. Okay, perfect. Okay.
0: Thank you. Well, um, so before we, that's all the questions. I mean, let me double check. Yeah, that's all the questions we have uh, tonight. Um, But I do want you to uh, talk a little bit about your practice. Tell us where you guys are located. um, If a patient is in, um, you guys are in not Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona area. Well, Phoenix, Scottsdale, kind of the same (laughs) (laughs)
2: Recover all <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: Yeah, just let everybody know a little bit about your practice and how they can reach you if if they want to schedule an appointment with you guys um, for initial uh, consults.
2: I'm, I'm the I'm the surgeon, um, uh, Dr. Amini, and I'm with Arizona Premier Surgery. It's actually pretty easy. It's just ArizonaPremierSurgery.com, all spelled out. And um, there you can see kind of uh, my profile, things about GERD and reflux and the procedures that we do. Um, and, I, and I think if, if you are been on PPIs for a while or on medications for a while, and you've been suffering for a while, um, I think it is reasonable to start getting a better workup and seeing what other options there are. Um, and then, Dr. Kasani.
1: Yeah, so I, I, um, my, my practice, at least my, my office, is, is in Scottsdale. Um, it's through the the Honor Health system. Um, at at the Shea Hospital, which is on the corner of the 101 and, and Shea. Um, if you go on to the Honor Health website and type in my, my name, um, um it, it'll come up. And, uh, um, yeah, but you know, we we treat both of us actually treat patients throughout the valley. Um, whether it's Phoenix or, or Chandler or so so, um,
2: and that and that's a good point because I, I our our practice has three offices so we're out of Chandler Gilbert um, we cover the East Valley we cover the West Valley we cover Scottsdale so we're kind of all over um, um and yeah and I, I think I think if their symptoms are mild they're really not on medications they can control it with some diet changes then you know they're probably doing pretty good. But if, if they've been on PPIs for a long time, more, more than, a, you know, 6, 9, 12 months, they're still not comfortable, they're, um, they haven't gotten a, a workup, they, they need at least some stuff, you know, endoscopy, upper GI, a couple, a couple of things to start to see is this an anatomical problem um, which we've clearly described and defined. Um, and, and that would need something better than, than medications.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and the, the one thing that I do want to stress, right, is it's, um, you know, we, we have to, we have to understand that, that acid reflux is not just a problem with how you feel. It just, you know, it's not just a symptomatic problem, but but the real problem with, with with acid reflux is that if you have chronic acid reflux, you can get something called Barrett's esophagus, and Barrett's esophagus is the precursor to esophageal cancer, um, to one type of esophageal cancer called esophageal adenocarcinoma, and, you know, take, you know, the symptoms are important, it, you know, it, it affects your day-to-day life, but the real problem is having the reflux cause this precancerous and then cancerous change. Um, and you know, a good, a good part of my practice is, um, you know, I I actually take care of a lot of folks with esophageal cancers and you need to prevent this, right? I I think that's, that that's one of the biggest things. It's not just how you feel, but it's really about preventing the progression, um, of Barrett's esophagus. So so that's why doing, having some kind of anti-reflux mechanism is important.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, the whole reason why we have the TIF talks is to educate. You know, these patients that are that are watching or patients that are concerned if they've been on PPIs for so long, there there are options out there, and that's that's really our goal is to let them know there are options out there. They don't have to keep suffering, um, and to advocate for themselves. So, we really appreciate you both being on here tonight, um, and discussing uh, GERD and all of the treatment options and the TIF procedure, obviously. So. Um, any last thoughts that you want to um, share with anybody with everybody that's watching before we end for the evening?
1: No, I think I, you know. I, I think the last statement that, that you said is extremely important. You know, I mean, you know, I, I I think patients have to take this very seriously. You know, right? I mean, it's a chronic problem that you feel every day, but but there, you know, you don't want to let it go. You at, at least get somewhat of a workup, see a gastroenterologist. Um, or, or a surgeon or, or, or something, and just make sure it's, it's something, it's, you're, you're not, it's not something more than, than just, you know, mild reflux.
0: Dr. Amini, anything else you want to add?
2: <laughs> no, I think, I think we've covered it all. I think this is helpful. I think this is great, and, um, and, and, and I, I'll echo what everybody else has said. I, I really think if you've only kind of briefly gotten a prescription for a PPI or an H2 block, or you've picked it up yourself. Um, I, I really don't think that that's enough and that's not your treatment for the rest of your life. And, 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 and I think things like this and educating, educating yourself and getting further specialty people to kind of, um, overlook everything is, is, is what you need going forward.
0: Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, doctors, for joining us this evening and everybody that's watching. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you're in the Scottsdale area or Phoenix or anywhere around there, uh, you can go see Dr. Thesani and Dr. Amini and schedule an appointment for an initial consult. Um, if you're not around the area and you're looking for a physician in your area, you can go to GERDHelp.com. Uh, and on there, there's a physician finder, and you'd be able to put your zip code and find a physician that's in your area that does the TIFF procedure. So, again, thank you very much, Dr. Thesani, Dr. Armini, everybody. Have a great evening, and thank you for joining us. Have a good one.
1: Thank, thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDHelp.com or download our GERD Help mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tiff Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD Help. Live well, Gird free.